Our Father, we are so grateful for your word that you have revealed yourself to us. We recognize, Lord, our own slowness to understand it, to apply it, and to obey it. I pray that this morning, in the time before us, that you would please open the eyes of our hearts to see the wonderful things that are in your word. Please cause our hearts to submit to your truth, that we might be obedient children unto you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's been pointed out by not only religious and church observers, but also by secular observers that the American culture is a consumerist culture. We intake and buy far more than we output, far more than we, we pull in from around the world, far more than we send out to the world. And you need only look to uh, our spending on, on major holidays such as Christmas or even Halloween, which now ranks as the second highest amount of spending for Americans uh, in the U.S. Uh, and not only that rising amount that we buy, but also the, the lowering of the things that we export in manufacturing. This pace continues to grow. And with this consumer culture, uh, there's a demand for options, right? We want the possibility uh, to find something that meets our precise preferences. And, of course, this is illustrated in vast menus when you walk into restaurants and they continually add more and more and more for what you might want. And on top of that, if you don't like anything that's on that menu, you can customize and tweak everything on that menu to exactly to your preferences. The possibilities are endless. Of course, this makes sense when it comes to our food choices, but the problem is, is that this mentality, this consumer mentality, has spread to more aspects of our society than just our food, and it has included the church. And the problem with consumerism in the church is that it conditions people to simply receive and not also to give. It trains them to think of church as a place you go to simply watch or to listen rather than a place to contribute, a place to do something. But see, God designed the church to be a team in which no saint sits on the bench. We are all in the game playing. All of us have a part to play for the church to be effective and for it to be successful in its mission. We certainly do come on Sundays to be ministered to. We might go to small group to be ministered to. But we also need to go in order to minister ourselves. Too often, we think of, when we think of ministry in the church, or you hear the word ministry, we think of the pulpit ministry we don't necessarily think of the pew ministry. We think of what the pastors and the leaders are to be doing, but we don't think of what the average Christian is supposed to be doing. And yet ministry, biblically, applies to every Christian. Our fourth core value states that we as a church are committed to minister by faith. And this is 
We believe that this is simply not a conviction for the elders or for the leadership, but this is to be a conviction of the entire church body. And this must be the case. This must be deeply rooted in each one of your hearts if Foothill Bible Church is to be the church that God has called us to be. If you've been with us the last several weeks, you know that we've begun this year, 2020, by looking at the core values of our church. Core values, five of them, which were drafted by the elders 15 years ago, and we've been uh, dusting them off and been reminding ourselves of why these truths are so important for us. And as we've been finding, these are not truths that the elders simply created 15 years ago as novel ideas for Foothill Bible Church to be about. But these are truths that are rooted in God's word and thus are necessary for us as a church to do and to obey. This week, we'll explore our fourth core value, which says we dare to minister by faith. We dare to minister by faith. And from this core value, I want to draw out three truths that I pray will, by God's grace, motivate you to minister by faith in this new year. Three truths from this core value that by God's grace will motivate you to minister by faith in this new year. Let's look number one. The first truth is that God calls you to minister. God calls you to minister. A truth that I've already been alluding to, but is important for us to state. The Bible calls each believer to be involved in ministry. As we mentioned a couple weeks ago, the Great Commission, given in Matthew 28, applies to every Christian in the church, where God calls the church to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you even to the end of the age, Jesus said. This commission given to the disciples and then handed down to the church is that we make disciples. This involves introducing someone to Jesus, helping them to grow in their faith, and training them to go and do the same for others. Which is why here at Foothill, we've summarized this for our purposes in the making, maturing, and multiplying disciples of Jesus for the glory of God. We make them, we introduce them to Jesus, we help them mature in Christ, and we multiply by sending people out to go and be disciple makers. And so this disciple-making ministry, if the Great Commission is the marching orders of the church, then it involves two arenas that our ministry is to be directed towards. The first arena is to unbelievers, those who don't know Jesus. Our ministry individually needs to be first directed to those who don't know Jesus. And secondly, to believers. These are the two arenas of a believer's ministry. First, just briefly, this ministry to unbelievers. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you 
to take, use a Bible in the pew rack directly in front of you, and you can find this passage, Acts 1 8, on page 1080. Page 1080. Acts 1, verse 8. A restatement of this great commission to go and make disciples, but worded in a different way, recorded here not in Matthew, but in Acts, given to the disciples. Look at what Jesus says to his disciples, some of his final words. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus told the disciples that the church would be a witness for him across the globe. And that this witnessing, this testimony, this proclamation of Jesus would be empowered by the Holy Spirit. They, the next chapter, Acts 2, describes the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost in which they then are empowered from on high to be able to be these kinds of witnesses. But what we need to see is that we too, as the church, spiritual descendants down uh, from the disciples is that, is that we too are empowered with the Holy Spirit to be witnesses for Jesus. We are already in the ends of the earth according to when this was spoken. We're across oceans. And we are called by God to witness for Jesus in the ends of the earth that we find ourselves. Not in our own strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the gospel must be on our tongue and on our hearts. We must be ready to speak of the grace and the love that is found in Jesus. This is the greatest truth in all the world. We must testify of not only his grace and love, but also of his coming judgment. That the Lord has fixed a day in which Jesus will return to judge this earth. And therefore he's calling everyone everywhere to repent, to turn from their sin, to lay down their arms against their creator, to repent and to trust in Christ as the only means of safety in the midst of the coming wrath of God. This is the all-important gospel that we, we share with those around us and with those around the globe. But we don't just speak the gospel to unbelievers we also speak the gospel to believers as well. There's a ministry, there's a gospel ministry for each one of you within the church. And for this, I want us to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. You'll find it on the Pew Bible page 1161. A passage, again, we looked at it a few weeks ago but I believe it's important for us to understand our role within God's church. Ephesians 4, reading verses 11 through 16. The Apostle Paul writes, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, 
to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. A few points I want us to draw from this passage for our purposes this morning. First, is that the maturity of the church and specific application, the maturity of Foothill Bible Church is dependent on the saints, all Christians, laboring in ministry. Notice that this is what he says is in verse 12 is that the saints are doing the work or labor of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. How is the body of Christ built up? It's through the saints. It's through the church. On top of this, how are the saints to be equipped to do this? Well, that's what God gives pastors and elders to do. It says he gave these shepherds and teachers, these pastors and teachers, in order to equip the saints for the work of ministry. This is against that idea that only pastors and elders are to be doing ministry and the rest of you are to receive their ministry. There is a sense in which you do receive ministry from the elders and from us pastors, but... The Bible sees us as equippers and trainers of you to, to then be about ministry in all the spheres that God has placed you. And notice that the church is Christ's body. It belongs to him. He can set it up however he wants to. And yet, how has he chosen for the church to be matured? He's chosen to do it through his people. Through the saints ministering to one another, maturity is brought about within the church. Another point to see here is that maturity involves unity around the knowledge of Christ. Unity around the knowledge of Christ. It says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Doctrinal clarity and doctrinal unity is crucial for church unity. And it's essential for maturity. For us to grow as a church, we've got to be united around the truth. We've got to be reunited around the gospel and be clear about what that is. But how do we do this work of ministry? What does it involve? Verse 15 says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. We grow up into Christ as we speak the truth in love to one another. This is hugely important to understand that our ministry involves opening our mouths. It involves the articulation of truth, which we find from the word of God. And as we speak the truth in love to one another, we are built up. We grow in the Lord. 
And notice that this isn't for a select few. If verse 12 wasn't enough to convince us of that, the second half of verse 16 says, when each part is working properly, each part is working properly, every part of the body of Christ has a part to play. And it's when everyone is working properly that the body grows up and builds itself up in love. It's important to note also here that love is is very important. It's mentioned once in verse 15 and once in verse 16. And it's, it's possible by those who love the truth and love doctrinal clarity and love the Bible that we like to give truth to other people. But we do it in a way that I describe as truth grenades. We say, we see someone that we know needs the truth And so we reach for our belt, we pull the pin, and we let her fly. And we say, we just drop that Bible verse right in their lap. We we just give it to the truth, cold, hard, bare facts. And we go, whoop. And they reject it, and we go, well, we gave them the truth. It's their fault, they're rejecting it. But friends, we've got to give the truth in love. Yes, we need to be bold. Yes, we need to be clear. Yes, we need to, to give at the right moment. But we've got to give it in the right way. We've got to give it as Christ would give it. With a compassion and a love for those who he recognizes may not see it at the, at the moment. Now, love is not, here is not an excuse to backpedal on the truth. We speak the truth in love. We've got to have both. But may we be characterized by both, by spirit truth speakers, and those who love, those who don't know Christ, and those who do and yet maybe need the hard truth. So, from this passage here in Ephesians 4, we can say that God expects all Christians to be involved in speaking the word of God in dependence upon the Spirit. And the rest of the New Testament supports this. This isn't the only verse that talks about Christians being involved in this truth-speaking ministry. Think of Colossians 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, then teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Or Hebrews chapter 3. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And lastly, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers... Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Friends, these exhortations are given to the whole church. And so here's the point I want you to walk away with. God's intent for Foothill Bible Church is that we would be a church of hundreds of ministers, that we are all actively engaged in ministry at some level. 
that we would all be speaking the truth in love to one another in dependence upon the Spirit. And this will look a hundred different ways because we all are in different contexts, we're different stages of life, we have different life experiences, we have different gifting. There's not a one-size-fits-all for what ministry looks like. But we're all engaged in the work. We are all full-time for Jesus. Now, there are many needs in the church, and there are many ministries, many things that we can be involved in that, that we give our time and our energy, meeting many physical needs in order for the, minist- the official ministries to run ar- around here. And this kind of helping ministry is so crucial to, to all that we do. But it shouldn't be the only ministry that we engage in. Part of what it means to be faithful to Christ involves opening our mouths and speaking truth to one another. And like I said, this will look different across the church. And so I want to just give you some some fictional examples this morning of what that might look like for different people. Fictional names, fictional but very possible scenarios. Bill is chatting to George after church and shares with him how encouraged he was by a particular verse in the Bible that day. Or it could look like Sarah, whose teenage son is having real problems at high school, and as they talk about it at night, she reassures him that God is stronger and more faithful than any friend and prays with him. Or it could look like Jeff who's asked by his co-worker Peter what he did on the weekend. And he replies that he heard a sermon in church that really helped him understand for the first time what was really wrong with the world. And when Peter asks him to elaborate, Jeff explains why sin and God's judgment explain the problems in our world. And so Jeff continues to pray for Peter that these sorts of opportunities would continue and that Peter's heart would be softened to respond to the message. Or it could look look like Allison, who's worried about her friend Debbie, who struggles with anxiety and has been missing church quite a lot. Allison writes her an email offering encouragement, quoting a few Bible verses, and offering to get together to pray. Or it could look like Irene, who's quite elderly and finds it hard to get out, but she phones her friend Jean every other day talks to her about the Bible passage she's read that morning and prays with her over the phone. Could be, look something like Claire, who's been praying for her friend Shirley for months and finally invites her to church. On the way home in the car, Claire talks to Shirley about the message and does her best to answer Shirley's questions. Or could look like Henry, who goes to a Bible study group each week at Jim's house with six other people. And he makes sure he has read and thought about the passage before he goes and prays that God would help him to say true and encouraging things to the group. Do you see how multifaceted this kind of ministry is? How it can take so many different forms and shapes as God uses you and your unique context with the people in your circle of influence. Who are you going to speak the truth to? So the first truth 
that we need to see this morning that God, is that God calls you to minister. If you trust in Jesus and are a part of this fellowship here, God calls you to minister. The second truth that we look at this morning is that God calls you to trust him. God calls you to trust him. Particularly, God calls you to trust him in the midst of the ministry. You see, ministry, like all of the Christian life, must be done by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says. We walk by faith, not by sight. Why must we minister by faith? Why does our core value say we dare to minister by faith? Because we've got to trust him to even have the conviction in our hearts, deep in our bones, to minister. If we're going to get off of our chair and go move towards people and minister towards them, we've got to know it and believe it deep down, and we need God to place that in us. If we're going to step out and, and speak the truth in love and say the right thing to the right people at the right time, we need his strength, do we not? We need his wisdom. And if our ministry is going to have any fruit, we need him to produce that. We need him to change hearts. We need him to bring about godly fruit in each other's life. And so it's all by faith. We trust him every step of our ministry. And if we do not trust God in our ministry, then we're liable to fall into one of three pitfalls. One of three pitfalls. And we'll look at these individually. The first pitfall we can fall into is self-dependence. Self-dependence. If we fail to actively trust God in our ministering, we will depend upon our own strength and our own ability. And take note, it is very possible to launch out into ministry in the flesh thinking that you're doing the right thing, think that you're following the Lord, and yet you're really depending upon your own ingenuity, your own wisdom, your own words. Folks, this is what the Bible calls false teachers do all the time. They get up and they claim to preach the Bible, but they're not doing it according to the Word of God. They're doing it in their own strength. And Jesus made this clear in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, where he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do, do many mighty works in your name? And then, then will I declare to them, I never knew you, Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Folks, it is easy to do a lot of visible ministry and yet not do it in dependence upon the Lord. And know that if we stop trusting in God for our ministry, there's not like we come to some neutral place where we're just not trusting anyone or anything. If, there's always an exchange happening. If we're not trusting God, then we're trusting ourselves. We Fill that space. And when we trust in ourselves, 
there's not much that we can expect compared to when we trust God, which is why we pray, which is why we pray. This is a quote by A.C. Dixon, a minister from a prior era, when he's, he says, when we depend upon organizations, we get what organizations can do. When we depend upon education, we get what education can do. When we depend upon man, we get what man can do. But when we depend upon prayer, we get what God can do. We must trust and depend upon the Lord in our ministry as we go every single day, never relying upon ourselves. We can never forget the truth of John 15, 5, where Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Not just you can do less. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Friends, our ministry, apart from Christ, is a pile of nothing if we're not depending upon him. Pastor John Piper helpfully reminds us, saying, we are called to labor for that which God alone can give. The essence of the Christian ministry is that its success is not within our reach. (laughs) That's encouraging words, right? It's not within your reach, but go do it. It's not within our reach, so we have to depend upon whose reach it is within, and that's the Lord. We must serve by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 4, 11. And so as you and I serve, speaking the truth in love to each other, we know that any change is going to be a work of God, not us. And we depend on him to produce fruit so that he receives the glory. So we minister by faith. Because apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Because he does all the work. And because he gets the glory. So we cannot fall into the pitfall of self-dependence. We've got to depend completely upon the Lord, and that, we do that through faith in prayer. The second pitfall that we can fall into if we're not ministering by faith is indolence. Indolence. Bringing back an older word, which means laziness. Laziness. We fall into this hole when we look at the call to minister And then we turn and look at ourselves and we see our inadequacy. And then we sit down and we fail to minister altogether. It it goes something like this. We go, what, me? Ministry? Minister to someone? Speak the truth? And maybe, maybe you're feeling that right now. You're thinking, God calls me to minister? But I don't feel like I have the right words. I don't feel like I have the right training. I, I, I don't feel like I know exactly what to do. I, I don't have the right Bible knowledge or whatever. The inadequacy just slowly backs you up and sits you down on the bench thinking that, well, maybe God's calling someone else because it certainly can't be me. But see, there's a problem in the way that we understand our weakness and our inadequacy. 
Our weakness and our inadequacy is not to keep us from getting into the game. It's to be the starting place to get in. It's the starting place for ministry, not the dead end. Our ministry truly begins when we recognize and admit our lack of strength and wisdom. In fact, God wants you to recognize and to feel deep down into your bones that you cannot do this. That's exactly what Paul said. He says, who is adequate for these things? Who is sufficient for these things? I can't be involved in gospel ministry. You go, Paul, of course you can. You're doing it all through the New Testament. We're seeing you. But he understood this principle. That he was weak and inadequate of his own. And yet it was very at that very point that God is able to use us as his vessels for his glory. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Found on page 1152 of the Pew Bible. Here Paul is wrestling with the thorn in his flesh. He wants it taken away. He's very frustrated about it, and yet he is asking that God would would take it away from him. And in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 8, he says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Friends, the starting point for ministry is to recognize and to feel deep down that weakness. That's what the Lord wants to lead us to, so that then, we throw ourselves before him and we drop to our knees and say, God, please help me to, to do what you've called me to do. It's when we think too highly of our giftings, when we think too highly of our skills, that we depend upon our own self. It's important to realize that the only thing you bring to the table in ministry is your own weakness. You can't point to your own righteousness, your own good deeds, your own Bible knowledge, everything that you've been given is a gift. All of it's of grace. And so the only thing, if you take away everything that's been given you by grace and you see what's left, all that's left is your sin and weakness. So we go, okay, Lord, this is all I got. He says, perfect. Now I can use you as a vessel for my glory. He empowers us to do what he commands. So this morning, our, do you believe that you are inadequate, good. Do you believe and have faith that the Spirit resides within you, that God has given you his Holy Spirit? Do you believe that God strengthens you for what he's called you to do? Do you believe and have faith that God will supply the strength and the wisdom and the words? Then step out and minister by faith. 
You step out trusting him to meet you in your hour of need. You step out trusting him to be able to give you the words, trusting him to give you the boldness, trusting him to give you the love for that person that you need to minister to. Our inadequacy shouldn't keep us on the sidelines. It should actually qualify us to enter the game in the strength of the Lord. The third pitfall that we can fall into is discouragement. Discouragement. Ministry does not always result how we want it to. People can reject the truth that we speak to them, even when we speak it in the most loving manner. And this can be discouraging. And many of you know this reality right now. Your hearts are burdened for those that you have been pleading with the truth, maybe for years. And yet, you have not seen any change, any bending towards Christ. And you feel like you've said all that can be said. There's nothing more that I can do. And this discouragement of not seeing fruit in our ministry can cause us to step out of ministry and not continue to engage in it. But we can take comfort in the fact the Bible understands this reality. They, God knows that ministry is often met with a lack of fruitfulness. I mean, just think of Moses and the people of Israel. Think of how frustrated he got that he was trying and trying and pleading with them. We have through the whole Pentateuch of trying to get them to follow the Lord, and yet they fail to do it time and time again. I think of Isaiah in the great scene where he goes into the temple and the Lord is on his throne and the train of his robe fills the temple and it's there that Isaiah is cleansed and, and, and God says, who will go for me? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. And usually we stop reading there. But what's after that? God says, I'm calling you to a people who's not going to listen, who's not going to understand. That's encouraging. Or think of Jeremiah. We know him as the weeping prophet. We never saw any fruit from his ministry. He weeps before the people of Israel who, who is in the very tail, the nosedive of decline as a nation before the Lord, and he's pleading with them to turn, and no one ever does. Jesus ministers for three years and is then betrayed and put on upon a cross. Paul ministers for years, and he's persecuted, he's deserted, and ultimately is martyred himself. But friends, biblical ministry is not measured by human appraisals. We know that God can and is doing far more than we, we can see with the, with the human eye. We are simply called to be faithful. And I'm reminded of the parable of the sower. The sower goes out to sow his seed, and some of the seed falls upon the path. And some of it falls upon the rocky soil, and some of it falls upon the thorny ground, and some of it falls upon the good soil. We are called to be sowers in that we give the truth and love to those around us, and the results are left to God. Friends, we have to know that we can be grateful and thankful in our ministry, speaking the truth in love, if we're simply faithful to give the truth. It's when we close our mouths that we stop being faithful sowers. We're not responsible for where that seed falls 
and, and, and what happens in those hearts, but we simply need to be faithful to cast that seed. And God has promised to do great things through his word. It will not return void. So, we need to be ministering, as we said. God calls you to minister. We need to trust him. We need to minister by faith. But now let's turn to why we must dare to minister by faith. Why do we have that word dare or daring? The third truth and final for us this morning is that God calls you to boldness. God calls you to boldness. Linked to the truth that ministry and, and our, our truth is not often met with receptive hearts is the fact that we can often face great opposition in the speaking the truth in love. And so ministering is often the hard thing that we have to do. It's often difficult. It often takes us to uncomfortable and awkward places. And ministry can often surface when it's not convenient. But we need to dare to step out and speak what needs to be said. In faith, trusting the Lord. The early church understood this need to be bold. This need to bring the truth about Jesus into their context. Turn with me to Acts chapter 4. Acts 4, we see this prayer by the early church. You can find it on page 1084 of the Pew Bibles. I want you to just look at verse, Acts 4, verse 29. They, they pray this. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word with all boldness. Friends, God loves to equip his people to speak boldly for him. They, the early church asked God to equip them for boldness and we need to do the same. Ask that God would give us the boldness to speak in the time that is right. You need boldness to speak to that family member who needs to hear the gospel. You need boldness to risk rejection by maybe sharing the gospel with a coworker or neighbor. You need boldness to maybe reach out and talk to that person in your small group who seems to be struggling and offer to get together with them. You need boldness to lovingly confront your child on some recent behavior that you've seen in his life. You need boldness to speak for Christ in the workplace or maybe with other parents on the sidelines of your kid's soccer game. You need boldness to ask your friends about the health of their marriage because you've seen some concerning signs. You need boldness to turn your regular hangout with Christian friends to profitable conversation, to talking about Christ. Friends, this is why we need boldness because so much of our lives pulls us away from speaking about eternal things. We speak about trivial things and yet the eternal realities of heaven and hell and and Christ, the offer of salvation to everyone, sits there 
as, as the most important and needful thing. Our sanctification needs to be on our forefront, and so we speak the truth. We, we cross those barriers of awkwardness for the sake of Christ. We seek to be bold for his sake. And it's at this point, friends, that we look at ministry and it exposes us. Some of you are thinking, I don't want to dare to minister by faith. I don't want to cross those barriers of awkwardness. I don't want to raise those issues with those people. And isn't it, it's this ministry that God calls us to that exposes our hearts. Because we see that Maybe I don't really love other people like I should. Maybe I don't love Christ and his glory and his gospel so much that I'm willing to, to cross that barrier for the sake of Christ. Ministry is exposing. And we can find that our hearts are often cold. Cold towards the unbelievers around us, cold towards the other believers in our midst, and we're just content to let them kind of figure out the Christian life, and I'm not going to say anything to them. So how do we change? How do we remedy this coldness of heart in ministry? Well, we need to look afresh at the gospel. We need to be reminded that Jesus Christ ministered on our behalf. He went into the whole, most holy place with his own blood so that you and I could be sanctified and purified before a holy God. It's because of his ministry that we can minister. It's because he loved him, loved us and gave himself up for us that we then go out and proclaim that message of love to those around us. He ministered boldly. He ministered lovingly. His ministry was the most costly, and yet for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Friends, if he did that for us, we can lay down our lives for our brothers. We simply need to look to the love that God showed us through Christ and find our hearts captivated so that we might minister in faith to others. So I close by simply asking you, how will you dare to minister by faith in 2020? How will you trust God to minister, to speak the truth and love to family members, to friends, to coworkers, to neighbors, to the people in your sphere of influence. Friends, this is not an age to be silent. We as the church must open our mouths and speak boldly because there are less and less people that know the truth of God. Let us not be ashamed of the gospel, but let us speak boldly. And as we do, as we dare to minister by faith, and as God equips us and strengthens us to do things we never thought we could do, may he receive all the glory for all that he produces in us. Amen? Let's bow together in a word of prayer. Our God, we thank you so much for the ministry of Christ. It is truly there that we find our motivation and we find the strength to minister ourselves. I pray that you would please strengthen us, give us clarity of heart and mind, and give us faith to step out and to minister boldly for the, your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.